Zebra School proudly presents Zebra Ears, a podcast for new parents. It is our mission to bring you relevant health and education content to help you navigate your baby's first three years of life in a calm and confident way. We've gathered some of the best pediatric care specialists and other experts to answer some of your most burning questions about parenthood. So thanks for stopping by. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Dr. Hori Sadiq, welcome to the Zebra Ears podcast, and thank you for joining the discussion. Before we get started, um, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice in Bolden Psychology? Thank you. Yes. I, um, after being a clinical director at other practices, I decided about three years ago to start my own company. I believe that mental health is for everyone and not just a few people who have access to insurance or, um, you know, or the means financially. So uh, we have three offices in the D.C. area, spread evenly mm-hmm. between Maryland, D.C. and Fairfax County. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, our specialties include working with families, women and children. Um, and we actually do a lot of work with ADHD, depression, um, coping skills. And then I would probably say that there's quite a bit of assessment for uh, what I would call underserved um, populations, people who don't usually come into treatment. About half of my clients are um, uh, South Asian, Middle Eastern, African American, and um, traditionally, uh, those have been very underrepresented groups when it comes to mental health care. Okay. So today we're pivoting slightly from our usual discussion about a baby's development to examine postpartum emotions and the mother. I say specifically the mother, but I'm also going to ask you about dads as well. So to start, can you explain the range of emotions that mothers can experience after giving birth and through the early days of becoming a mom? Um, Absolutely. It's interesting because I think when people think of emotions, um, postpartum depression as a concept, I think is much more familiar to people, but Mm -hmm. there's, there's actually like a whole range of emotions. One of the ones that I'll start with is joy. You know, I have uh, clients who tell me that they saw their, their baby smile for the first time or turn over and they were just like crying their eyes out because it was so beautiful. (laughs) So, yeah. So joy is definitely, you know, an emotion that's in there as well. Um, for new moms, I think one of the things I've seen the most is fear um, and self-doubt. And it seems to mm-hmm. actually be correlated with perfectionism. There's a lot of moms who feel like they have to do everything right. So uh, this is an anecdote where somebody had their baby um, and they put the... <laughs> They put the, uh, the, their baby was, you know, in a cradle and they put the cradle down while they were doing their, fixing their kitty litter and the whole thing fell. And there was Uh so devastating to feel like you dropped your child. Yeah. She was okay. But I think these types of fears, like, you know, that I could possibly do something wrong or like, I don't know what to do. Um, So there's a doctor who has written a book that I think is wonderful. Um, and I'm probably skipping ahead to recommendations, but no, feel good uh, to do so. Um, her name is Dr. Feingold and she's from the university of Chicago. And she wrote a book called happy endings, new beginnings, navigating postpartum disorders. And I, so she talked a lot from the range of, um, what's considered to be like a more normal kind of hormonal and emotional, uh, experience that happens to most women to what becomes 
a problem and could actually become full-blown postpartum depression. And they Mm -hmm. even talk about postpartum psychosis as a possibility for people who are untreated. And, you know, and just like any severe depression, psychosis is kind of like having a break from reality and not being able to function very well. But in generally, in terms of what it's called a baby blues, they say that within two to three weeks is when um, clients should, you know, experience these fluctuations in mood, anxiety, even doubt. But if it continues past a month, it, it might become something more serious and it might be time to get some professional help. Okay, so you mentioned the baby blues. Could you give us the range of where the baby blues might turn to become postpartum depression? Sure. Is there a a specific moment or time that we should be looking at? I think it can affect people differently, but some of the common signs to look for are feeling very um, irritable and frustrated, like becoming extremely angry um, or small things that would otherwise not have bothered a person before start becoming an issue. Um, Also feeling very... Uh, worthless or hopeless, like I just can't do this. Um, mm-hmm. These type of symptoms are beyond um, what you would call more normal anxiety or, or uh, doubt, which, you know, all new moms and dads actually go through that. But yeah, and then if it starts becoming that you're not, I mean, no moms sleep, <laughs> moms don't sleep. But if you're, you really feel like you can't sleep, whereas you, you know, not, not just because you don't have the time to sleep, but if you really can't fall asleep, you're losing your appetite, you're feeling like you can't make decisions. And then when it gets into the more extreme ranges, feeling like you're crying regularly and you don't feel like you're able to take care of the baby, you feel you know, very um, both unmotivated and fearful about your responsibilities. Um, and then a lot, the last stage of that, which I think would be very concerning is f- having no interest in the baby or mm-hmm. feeling that you know you don't have a sense of a bond or attachment to the baby. Okay, so if we're we're having this is a very unique time period. So I'm curious about uh, one. What's the first thing that a mother and I'm going to say mother now, but I'm going to ask about dads as well. Mm-hmm. What is the first thing that a mother should do if she starts exhibiting symptoms of anxiety and or depression? And does that look different right now during this pandemic? I think it does look different during the pandemic. I mean, and people are actually joking. Uh, you know, there's a there's an expression, the, the pandemic babies, you know, people who are <laughs> having their babies right. coming. I mean, just it's we've been we've been at this now for over 12 months. And many people have conceived and given birth during a pandemic. And yes. you don't necessarily have the same social support and community that you would as an expecting parent. You don't get to talk to as many people. Your doctor might even be seeing you online until you know, right. until there's certain lab tests or whatever that need to be done. So everything is very um, dissociated from what would be, I consider um, the pregnancy period and even being a new mom to be a community experience. I, I, I know it sounds very hokey, but I do believe it takes a village, but it's very hard <laughs> when you're kind of isolated at home. So I think any fears or anxieties that a parent would normally have are amplified, just like for all of us when we're at home, it, we don't have the same uh, social support networks. So we do feel isolated and that can take the normal fears and concerns about uh, being a new mom and just amplify them greatly. 
So where does treatment start or where does, I guess, the curve towards treatment start? Because I know not everyone is, is ready to go right into therapy. So where, where would you suggest that a family begin if these are issues that they're dealing with? I feel first, you know, their primary or their primary health care provider or their OBGYN should have mm-hmm. training to be able to detect when it's been, as I said, I consider about three weeks to be the, the mark if you're continuing to have a lot of depression mm, and mood okay. swings, swings after, uh, after three weeks. There might be something uh, more serious going on that could become, um, you know, more long term. And so it, addressing it as soon as possible is very important. There's actually... Um, uh, you know, you've probably heard of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, uh, but there is something actually yes. that is for uh, moms with postpartum depression. And they, I can, at the end, I can give you the phone number or text it. To yeah, you. please do. Um, yes. And they have a Spanish uh, line as well, uh, a text line, a Spanish line, and just a regular uh, phone hotline. So some of the things that seem to put people at risk for developing postpartum is if they've had a past history of trauma. So if they've had PTSD from any history of abuse or assault in the past, it seems to be um, a a risk variable. And if they've had a previous diagnosis or family history of depression or mood disorder, that's also a risk factor. So if they had depression earlier in life or even before. So like, for example, the Duchess uh, Markle said that she actually experienced clinical depression during the pregnancy. It wasn't just afterwards. It wasn't postpartum. It was during and after. Um, partially that was because of the stressors and environmental uh, context that she described, which was very negative and unsupportive in her opinion. And, but it's, I think that gets talked about less that some people are not, um, you know, the joyful um, stereotype of a pregnant mom, um, they, even during the pregnancy, you can experience a lot of distress. And I think that gets less attention. I think we're starting to become more familiar with postpartum depression, but we don't realize that it can start pretty early on. Um, so, uh, that, that's a good uh, point you make. I'm curious, how often do women seek treatment in the first pregnancy when usually we don't think of postpartum until after, how often do we have first-time mothers seeking treatment who have not experienced depression before? Yeah, I think it's rare. In fact, um, there's a lot of uh, data that women in general who are depressed and anxious, even though they have a higher percentage of depression and anxiety overall, even without pregnancy, very few women, because they usually have multiple responsibilities, there might be other children in the home, they might be working and managing their pregnancy at the same time. So a lot, I, it's, I think that they are very underrepresented. Uh, and that's why I felt that uh, uh, Meghan Markle's interview was so important to point out that pregnancy can be very, very stressful. You know, people say, hey, you're, she's beautiful, she's wealthy, she has all of these things, but she was clinically depressed. And I think that's a warning sign that it can happen to anybody. So where does, is this... Uh... I, I want to ask about causes, but I don't want to make assumptions about what those could be. Are we talking, I know we, when a woman is pregnant, she's dealing with a great deal of hormonal changes mm-hmm. and different stressors. Are there other factors that should be looked at in terms of uh, a keeping one's emotional health 
in a good place or what a mother can do? Yes, absolutely. I, I think, first of all, being aware of the risk factors. This is uh, uh, having a baby with special needs. So if you are at risk for if you're having a high risk pregnancy and we know that not all pregnancies are are smooth, having a high risk pregnancy or the fear of a high risk pregnancy mm-hmm. is a, uh, is very significant for uh depressive tendencies. And this is interesting. The research indicates that having a child before the age of 20, um, and that could be hormonal as well, as well as the the life stressors, uh, is a risk factor. Um, uh, Having a substance use disorder, uh, you know, most people are are very careful, and we can talk about medications in a moment, but taking um, a lot, if you have a tendency towards depression, many or other medical conditions a lot of people stop taking medication during their pregnancy to protect their mm-hmm. to protect the baby and that can have an effect on their mood so those are three big variables uh having a lack of a support system from family and friends which is particularly relevant during the pandemic and social isolating um having had complications uh during the pregnancy, if you're placed on bed rest or you have, you've been told there might, like, um, you might have gestational diabetes or hypertension, which are very serious Mm -hmm. conditions and put the mom and the baby at risk, um, all of those. And then having, after the baby is born, uh, premature birth and having a baby with low birth weight are, seem to be related to depressive tendencies in the mom uh, and which makes sense i mean it's very stressful right that sounds stressful so what what can you do you asked me and i kind of had a segue so some of it is the same stuff that all psychologists will tell you having a healthy diet and trying to get regular exercise that's safe um keeping up with medical appointments and prenatal care um this is interesting. Um, one study found recently that eating small meals regularly throughout the day seems to maintain blood sugar levels. So even if you, okay. even if you're not diabetic or pre-diabetic during pregnancy, eating regularly is very important, which is hard for some women because they experience a lot of nausea or um, you know food-related concerns, right. and um, and of course getting sufficient sleep, uh, and then. The planning ahead to have like a support network with you, with friends, family, somebody who can help you. I I know a lot of women who experienced great relief because they had friends and family who helped with um, meal preparation, you know, and they did shifts with taking care of other children in the household or just general support and being checked in on. One of the things that happens with childbirth is that people are very happy for you when the baby's born and then they, mm-hmm. they forget about you for the next they disappear (laughs) and that's when you really need help because it's uh it's not just about the congratulations part um and especially um for single parents having uh or speaking openly to loved ones and having uh the social support network is really important so um single moms and i work with a lot of single moms whether they're divorced or they're not with their partner uh with the child's uh parent it's uh it's one of the highest stress levels. Wow. So we're not trying to pre-diagnose anyone, but I'm curious about what types of medication um, become an option for a mom. And then what are the, what does that treatment look like if a woman is still nursing? Are there medications that are safe Uh for that type of, 
for that treatment? So this is so interesting because there's been so much controversy about some of this. So what's ironic is that if you have somebody who's depressed during pregnancy, that also creates um, stress for the for the unborn baby. But if you oh, okay. don't take medication, and that means that you have you are depressed. If you do take medication, how does that? So it's almost like it's a very tricky balance. Yeah. And that's where having a really good doctor is important. But out of all of the antidepressants, they have found that Zoloft and Paxil, which are both SSRIs, are have are considered somewhat safer than other antidepressants because they have very low levels. Uh, Could you explain what an SSRI sure. is? An SSRI is uh, the most common form of antidepressant that's given um, because it helps increase uh, serotonin, which is okay. which is the uh, uh, which helps us feel better. People who have depression usually have a low level of serotonin. So this medication increases that. Um, and Zoloft and Paxil are the safest. So this is the rule of thumb because of the medications that we have that are, there's always new things coming out. We see see them on TV and here on the radio. If you take this and here's the 20 side effects and so forth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's um, anything that's been around longer has had more research. So going with a new medication is a little bit riskier. Um, okay. So, but I wanted to tell you, uh, the National Institute of Health (NIH) has an, a website called LactMed. L-A-C-T-M-E-D. It's actually a list of ongoing research on all medications, everything from Advil to antidepressants, that um, and what the side effects are for lactation. So that that would, okay. that would be very important, I think, just to have a look at that. But most people are not aware of it because it's like a science-based one. But it literally gives you a list and what the latest research is on every medication. Uh, L-A-C-T-M-E-D, Lactmed. So we've talked about medication options and treatment options. But um, I very rarely hear anyone talk about the pitfalls and the bad advice to avoid when dealing with an issue of what might be baby blues or depression, what can you what would you say are some of those pitfalls that need to be avoided okay. that we don't talk about? Yeah, enough? that's so interesting. I think one is that um, moms in general have a real sense of pressure that they have to be the perfect mom, and <laughs> I think feeling like you can't mess up or you it, there's a shame. I, the women I talk to in my practice. They, if they feel like they're not parenting adequately or they did something wrong, there's a lot of shame and guilt. And that's not the kind of thing that sometimes family members or even friends um, uh, are easy to talk to about. Like, it's hard to say, you know what, this is hard as heck. And I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I think if we let go of some of those expectations of the perfect mom, even psychology as a field is predicated on the perfect mom, you know, like the, the psychology yeah. of classic psychology is you know if, if something's wrong with you like you had mom issues or whatever but it's um so i think some of the things um that some of the pitfalls are this having breastfeeding difficulties and feeling shame about that i know a lot of women who were unable to breastfeed for various reasons and then they they experience yes. a lot of guilt about that um as i mentioned also earlier having a baby with special needs and this is interesting. Some of the things, if possible, are to avoid, if you're having a baby, and not everyone can do this, avoid major changes. Like you don't want to, you know, if you are going back to work after a certain period, don't change your job. Try not to move. Don't try to do 
everything at once. It's, you know, it's almost like you have to give your food. That's a tall yes, order. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, and this is, this is an interesting one that I actually recommend to my patients. When the baby sleeps, women in general feel like that's when they have to do the dishes, the laundry, and six other tasks. When the baby is you resting, you should rest. And, and I think right. that's very important. I don't care if there's a pile of dishes in the sink. It's better for you to be able to rest. I think when, one of the things that happens is the lack of sleep, of course, happens, but it makes it much worse because most of the women I know feel like when the baby's asleep is that's their chance to do all of the chores and stuff they couldn't do earlier. Um, and I think it's very important for to give yourself a break and to realize that some things have to be go. So we've talked a little bit about the timeline for treatment. And uh, so my question now is if a woman is suffering or has suffered from postpartum depression with a past Mm -hmm. pregnancy, should she seek out treatment before even encountering it a second time or even worrying about the risk of it? When should she seek treatment again? Should it be in the middle of that pregnancy? Should she seek treatment before attempting to get pregnant again? Or should she plan treatment upon the birth of the new child? I, I do believe that it's important to do a consultation pretty early on in the pregnancy just to kind of get your foot in the door and to be able to tell someone, you know, last time or not even last time, that at times in my life I may have suffered from depression. And so doing a check-in, which I call a consult, it doesn't have to be like you have to go every week or something, but to kind of start the process so that you can have the conversation before things get bad. And as I was mentioning earlier, partially because of busy schedules or shame, a lot of women wait till things are really bad and they don't know... uh, this is so um, interesting. Most of the women I work with did not even realize they had postpartum depression until they were weeks and weeks wow. into it. They were just feeling horrible and they were like, this is just the way it is. Or they were like shutting down. Um, so I think it's important, very important to make sure that you kind of check in early on. And then if you feel like you are at risk, um, then maybe set up some regular appointments beforehand. So yeah, it's, it's preventive, just like it's part of prenatal care. So um, so what should, and I, I like to ask this question with just about everything, what should those that love this mom and dad who are not in the home on a regular basis, what should they notice or what should they look for that might help them uh, bring a family to a diagnosis that could be helpful? What are what would an outsider see that could help? Because we know so often people hide their emotions, but what might an outsider see that could help them say, hey, maybe you should talk to someone? That is a great point because some of this is stuff that you might actually experience just as part of a normal pregnancy, but looking at the amplification, if you have a friend who's not saying she is depressed, but she's feeling a loss of confidence, like, you know, I can't do this, I'm overwhelmed. If she's feeling more irritable or frustrated than usual, if, you're, if your friend says to you, you know, I have not been sleeping at all and, or and I'm not eating well uh, or that they feel isolated, one of the things that I look for, this is my warning sign, both professionally and personally, is when somebody says to me, nobody understands me, nobody gets it. Mm, yeah. 
Um, so those are the things where you can, and most women do not seek out um, professional help on their own. They're usually told by a family member or a friend, you know, I'm, or, I'm worried about you. You need to come in. Very rarely do women say, you know, I'm worried about me. <laughs> usually somebody else is worried about you. So how do we get the resistant mom to seek treatment? Or even in a case where I've heard of cases where a mom wanted to seek treatment, but the husband thought, no, 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 you're fine. Because there's that sense for a husband to want to reassure. Um, even when things get really rough, when, how do we get that resistant family to treatment? I think sometimes starting with the medical portions, like you're not sleeping or you've been crying a lot. Let's go focus on that. Instead of just telling, you know, if you tell a mom you have postpartum depression and you need to see a psychiatrist or psychologist right away, that can be threatening. But if you say, you know, I'm worried about you because you're not sleeping very well. And I've noticed that you've been feeling very emotional recently. Maybe it would be good just to check in with somebody. So sometimes starting in that direction, um, is less threatening or, you know, as you said, the resistant family who doesn't really quote unquote believe in depression, you can uh, work on the physical symptoms, uh, which are very much part of depression. A lot of people, I think, I, I believe a lot of people think that depression is in your head and it's just like an emotion, but right. it's actually a physical sensation that makes you feel very fatigued, very achy, very, you know, it's, uh, it's even hard to get out of bed sometimes. Oh, thank you for saying that. I think so often we forget about the physical toll that that can take. So um, before we close, I have, uh, you, you gave us some resources. Um, could you give us some more resources for new parents who are looking um, for help or maybe some resources that might be specific to mom or specific to dad um, when dealing with these And actually, issues? by the way, I wanted to tell you, uh, about 10% of women do experience, um, uh, the, the, the current stat is around 10% of women experience clinical levels of depression during pregnancy. Wow. And 14% uh, do after pregnancy. And it's not that okay. much lower for actually 8 to 10% of men also have postpartum depression. They don't seem to have it during the pregnancy, but they do. Oh, thank you for talking um, about and, that. Uh, the social psychological research indicates that marital satisfaction actually drops after the birth of a child. So not, oh, you know, you still love your child, but that. marital satisfaction, maybe that they don't have as much time to connect or the stress of, you know, the constant um, work it takes to build a little guy or a little girl. <laughs> so, but it, it's interesting. Yeah. A lot of people say to me, you know, we, we decided to have like our third child because we, you know, we just wanted to bond and we just wanted to have add to our family, but uh, it's temporary, but the um, marital satisfaction actually does drop. So that's another important thing. Sometimes it's not just about the mom going to therapy or finding medical help. I think sometimes it's very important for the couple to go. And Okay. And I don't think it's that a, it's a, a it's given in our society. I do a lot of premarital counseling, but nobody does post birth counseling, and that's just as important. Do people do pre birth counseling um, as a couple? It's, uh, it, some some do. Uh, I, I think usually if there is a problem, if you think there's going to be you know special needs or there is depression, but just think about it. Like you know, you if every couple went and got some professional help after the baby was born because there's so much stress, there's so much to do. I think it would be very supportive. 
So before we leave today, Dr. City, can you tell our listeners how they can connect with you and what other services you provide? Absolutely. Um, So I do these assessments and I have diagnosed postpartum depression when um, when women have come to me and said, I just don't feel well. and I don't know what's going on. Sometimes it is the physical symptoms that I was mentioning that bring them in and they hadn't thought about themselves as depressed. Um, so I, I wanted to give you those other phone numbers. Um, may I just say them out loud or should I text them? To you? Okay, okay. Please, please so, do. Uh, this is the postpartum hotline that I told you about. It's 1-800-PPD, so postpartum depression, moms. 1-800-PPD-MOMS, and that number is 1-800-944-4774. And then they have a text line also. Um, It's 503-894-9453. Great. And where can our our listeners find Uh, you? My company is called Embolden Psychology. Embolden is to help people be as brave and positive as possible. That's why I picked that word for my company. And um, uh, it's emboldenpsychology.world. Or actually, the, uh, my website is embolden.world, E-M-B-O-L-D-E-N.world. And all of my clinical services are listed there. And then I have offices in Chantilly, Silver Spring, and Washington, D.C., as well as teletherapy, of course. And you yeah, have so a how, blog as well. There's a, I have a blog that's on my website. And I also write for Very Well Mind, which is a... Um, a mental health blog and for um, Huffington Post. Dr. Hori Sadiq, thank you for joining. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions or would like to leave a comment about this episode, please visit our website at zebraschool.com. There you'll be able to access our library of episodes, find parenting resources, and browse our collection of product offerings and more.